We'll begin in Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. This is what Jesus says. What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to another son, the other son, and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. When the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is his heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Let's pray for our time in God's word this morning. Holy God, as we hear these words, we're reminded that They're not any words. Yet, Lord, we receive them very casually at times. When we glance over them, even as we hear them read, our our minds drift. And yet, Lord, these are living words. These are words like, unlike any other words, Lord, they, they are inspired, they are authoritative, they are spoken by our Lord, not only in the presence of the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and the disciples, Father, they are being spoken in our presence today as we read them, as we hear them, as we look to them. Father, I pray that just as they penetrated the hearts of the rebellious, the hearts of the religious, pray, Father, they would have that same effect here today, that we would come to understand the, the remedy that we sang of that we might celebrate this, this meal more faithfully today because we understand more about what it is. 
We pray, God, that your word would change hearts, that you would draw us to repentance and faith. And we pray for this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, if you've been studying through with us in Matthew 21, you know that that we are in a series of events that marks the the last week of the earthly ministry of our, our Lord Christ leading up to his crucifixion, his resurrection. Uh, you know that we started Matthew 21 by looking to the, the triumphal entry as Christ came in, was proclaimed to be king, how many people uh, said as he came into Jerusalem, Hosanna, Hosanna, the, the king is coming. Uh, we know that their hearts will soon turn, that by the end of the week that those same people will be yelling, crucify him, crucify him. We're, we're reminded as we look to that about our own hearts and how quick we are to change. After that, we saw Jesus go into the temple for the second time to, to cleanse it. We saw him leave there and, and curse the fig tree. Uh, symbolically in that, we understand that, that Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders of his day. He's speaking to, to us here today. He's saying that there may be appearance of fruit in your life, and yet upon further investigation, there is no real fruit. He, he condemns that. And then he, he begins to go and he teaches in the temple. And there's a question that arises from the religious leaders. They're, they're questioning whether he really has the authority to do these things. They question where his authority comes from. And we looked at that and looked at how Jesus turns that question. In essence, points out that they truly are the ones who speak without authority. And then it's in that context, it's in that questioning, it's at that moment where, where Jesus is rebuking essentially those who have questioned his authority that, that he then shares these two parables that we read this morning. I share all that as a preface so that we understand there's, there's kind of a continual strain of thought here. Now, Jesus is speaking out to those who thought themselves to be something. They really weren't what they thought they were. And in that, he is clarifying once again for us the call of the gospel. He's clarifying for us, he's helping us see the power of the gospel and how it changes the lives of those who hear it, and yet there are still those who refuse to accept it. So we're going to look at that today. We're going to prepare to receive this meal today, and as we do, we're going to talk about the gospel and how the gospel confronts us. And, and as we do, perhaps gain a get, better understanding of the work of it. Uh, the first thing that we'll look at that I've placed in your notes there is that we see in this text that the, the gospel confronts our hypocrisy. The gospel confronts our hypocrisy. Jesus, after having his authority challenged and responding to the chief priests and the elders, he then turns to them and he asks them a question. And he tells them a story. He says, well, what do you think? He is inviting them into this parable. He's inviting them to, to, to give their perspective. He, he doesn't want them just to listen. He wants them to respond. He's saying, I want to tell you a story and I want you to listen to this story, and I want you to tell me what you think about this story. And he tells them a story of a man with two sons, a, a master with two sons. Uh, he goes to the first, and he says to him, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. You'll, you'll notice the vineyard, that's, that's something you'll see consistently in this parable. In the next parable, it goes back to, well, really, throughout the Old Testament, you see the people of God referred to in that way as God's vineyard, God's people when we see ultimately in the vineyard, the vine is Christ. He, he is the true vine. God refers to his people this way. And you see the illustrations come up like with the fig tree. 
Uh, It produced no real fruit. Jesus is packaging all these things together. And so he tells the story. He says, the master goes to his son. He says, go out into the vineyard. And perhaps some of you parents, some of us parents can identify with this. You tell your kids to do something. And I'm sure that yours always perfectly obey. Uh, My wife's children don't. Uh, And so at times they say no. They may not say it that brashly, but they say it. Well, here we have a very sudden response, a very rebellious response from this son. He says, I won't. I'm not going to do it. And yet Jesus says that afterwards he, he changes his mind and he goes. That, that Greek term there, changes his mind, it's very similar to a term we use often, repent. He repents. He, he turns. He changes. He goes the other way. And so while he initially says, no, I will not, Father, he ultimately says, I will. Jesus says, this man has another son. Goes to him and in much the same way says, son, I want you to go out there into the field and, and, and certainly looking better than his first brother's initial response, he says, oh, I'll go. I'll do that. Perhaps you have that child too. <laughs> they quickly say they'll do it, but then they don't really do it. And, and that's who he shows us here. He says, this son says, well, I'll go do it, and then he doesn't. And then he just simply turns to those religious leaders and he says, so which one of these did the will of the Father? And they know, they understand, the Father's will was for his son to go work in the vineyard. While the first one initially said no, he actually went and did it. The second one said he would, but he didn't really go. They understand the story. It's a very simple story, and so there's no confusion here. They say, well, of course, the first son did the will of the Father. Then Jesus helps them understand what he's saying in this story says, you know who that first son is? It's not you. <laughs> that, that first son, it's the tax collectors. It's the prostitutes. It's the people that those religious leaders would have cringed at the thought of. It's the people that we see in the Gospels when Jesus spends time with them. Not only is his authority questioned, his judgment is questioned. Why would you spend time with them? It's the people that the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees would have looked down on and would have thought there's no place in the kingdom for them. And yet, what does Jesus say? He doesn't say, well, it's the sinners. He says it's those people who, when they heard the message of the gospel, that message that was introduced to them by John the Baptist out by that river as he was calling people to repentance that ultimately pointed towards the way of Jesus and the gospel that Christ would preach, those people, when they heard it, they responded. That's who the first son is. So, guess who the second son is? (laughs) He looks at him and says, the second son is you. Uh, These people, these prostitutes and tax collectors, they're going to go into the kingdom before you. Jesus essentially in this, he's pointing out something that he's already pointed out that he'll continue to point out. He's pointing out their hypocrisy. He's pointing out, they, they think they're a certain way. They'll say, oh yeah, I'll do it. They'll say, yes, Lord, I'll do it. They'll say, oh yes, I'll obey, but do they obey? Is their life consistent with what the scripture says? And we know from our time in it already that it certainly is not. You think, for example, about what we read in Matthew chapter 15. 
In Matthew chapter 15, there's that encounter where Jesus is there with the disciples and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, uh, essentially a, a group of them together. They come to Jesus and they say, well, we want to know why it is that your disciples don't follow the tradition of the elders. See, they had all these rules that they had added to the law, and one of them involved the ceremonial cleansing of hands before a meal. And we talked about this when we looked at Matthew 15. This was long before the discovery of germs. This was not in some effort to stop the spread of influenza. Uh, this was just a ritual that they had added to, to exert their piety to others that, that look at us, look at how clean we are before God. And so they would raise their hands to heaven and they would wash them in a certain way just to be seen by others. Disciples didn't do that. So the scribes, Pharisees, they come, they say, why won't your disciples follow the teachings of the elders? What does Jesus say to them? He says, why don't you obey the word? So why don't you do what God's Word says? You remember the Ten Commandments? You remember what they say about honoring your father and your mother? You remember consistently through the Old Testament what it teaches the children about how they're to regard their parents, and yet the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were among many during that day, during that time, who would, would come up with kind of loopholes around obedience. And one of those was, instead of honoring their parents by taking care of them, if their parents were to come to them and they had a need and they said, I, I need this of you, I need you to help me here, they could simply declare the goods in their life, the material things in their life as consecrated to God. They could essentially say, oh, well, you, you can't really have this because I've set this aside for the service of God. Oh, you need this? Yeah, I've, I've set that aside for God too. Oh, you need this? Oh, I've set that aside. Well, what were they doing? They were just sheltering it. They were just keeping it for themselves. Many of them never gave those goods for the use of the gospel and the use of the temple at all. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, you claim to be one thing, and yet you are not. You claim to have these clean hands. Your hands are, are filthy. And we see this taught throughout the Gospels, and we will see it more intensely in this last week in the life of ministry of Jesus Christ. And essentially, Jesus is helping them to see that they are great, great hypocrites. So what are we today? Are we the first son, the first son who, while he rebels initially, while he's disobedient initially, he, he then obeys God? Are we the second son who, who says, yes, Lord, we'll obey you, but then really doesn't? Which one's the real hypocrite here? Well, the reality, friends, is we're, we're both of them. See, anyone in this room that's responded to the gospel is the first son. Because every one of you, from the moment you come out of the womb, you were saying no. I didn't have to teach my children how to say no, by the way. They learned that really quick on their own. I didn't have to teach my kids a lesson. I didn't have to break out a little board book with them and say, okay, tonight uh, what we're going to learn, kids, is how to say mine. Because you're not saying that real well. You're sharing way too much. And we really need you to develop a sense of independence and a sense of, uh, of selfishness. And you don't seem to have that. So let me tell you, no, we don't, we don't do that. We teach them lessons on sharing. We teach them lessons on not saying no. We teach them these things. Why? Because their natural inclination from the moment of birth is to say no and is to rebel. And for any here who's responded to the gospel, 
You're the first son. You said no, but you changed your mind, not of your own initiative, but because of God and His mercy and grace brought the gospel into your life like you did for me when I was 17 years old and you responded to the gospel and you said, yes, Lord. You can't say, no, Lord. (laughs) You can't call Him Lord and say no to Him. You said, yes, Lord, and you responded. It doesn't make you perfect. It doesn't mean you've been perfectly obedient, but you're the first son. But you know what? There's also a lot of second son in us too. Because even after repentance, we come to those times in our life very often, if we're honest, where we're, we conform on the outside, where we dress this thing up a little bit, <laughs> we pretend that we're something we're not. But when you and I look in the mirror, we know what's there. We know what's not there. We're honest with ourselves. We, we are desperate, sinful people. And we think somehow we can hide that from a holy God. And we're no different than Adam and Eve who in the garden, in their sin, what's the very first thing they do? They try to hide it from a sovereign God. And God goes along with them. Where, where are you? What's going on? God knows exactly what's taking place. What do they do? They try to cover their sin, but their covering's not sufficient. God has to kill an animal to physically cover them pointing towards a day when Jesus will go to the cross because it's only he who will truly cover them their sin can only be covered by Christ's righteousness and and that shows us that second son within all of us that hypocrisy within all of us. But the good news is, the gospel confronts that. The gospel shows us we're rebellious people. Romans 3, all have sinned. Not some have sinned. Not most have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you think you're not a sinner this morning, you are a sinner this morning. That's what God's Word says, but that's not all it says because in our sin... Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates His love toward us while in our sin, while yet still sinners, Christ went to the cross for us. Not to make us complete, but to offer us the gospel and the only hope we have. We we are not 10% okay and need the gospel for the other 90%. We are 100% lost. And the gospel is our only hope. And so Jesus, in communicating this parable to these people i think he specifically is pointing out to them their hypocrisy he's specifically saying you think you're one way you think you're okay but you are the second son and these people you look down on they've repented when they've heard the gospel and here's the thing that he points out to them in verse 32 even when you saw them repent you didn't believe i mean think about that here are these people who are outcasts Here are these people who themselves would acknowledge their uncleanliness. And the Pharisees and scribes, they've got a front row seat to watching God transform these people's lives. Jesus says, even when you saw it, you didn't believe. Well, he goes on to press the point further. And as he does, the second point of place in your notes there, he, he deals with their and with our hard-heartedness, that the gospel confronts our hard hearts. Instead of saying, what do you think? Jesus says, listen, okay? Listen to what I say. 
hear this parable, and he tells them a story about a master, a master who symbolically in this passage, this is God he's speaking of. He, he has a vineyard. He goes to great lengths to security, puts a fence around it. He puts a watchtower in it. He goes out and he hires tenant. This is very common practice in Jesus' day. People who own land, they would set it up. They would put a vineyard there. They would hire people to come in and take care of it. They would go off to another land at times. They were still the master. They were still in charge. The tenants knew that. They understood that. This is a very atypical situation that Jesus shares about. He says when the master sends his servants to come collect the fruit, what happens? The tenants rebel. And they don't just get upset. They kill one of the servants. They beat another. They stone another. So you can only imagine word gets back to the master and who knows what he's thinking. Perhaps he's thinking, well, maybe they did something wrong. We're not sure what's happening here. He sends another delegation of servants. Why? He's still the master. This is his vineyard. They go and what happens? They do the same to them. And so then he does something that when we're reading the story, it's kind of, well, why would he do that? He sends his son. But, but this would have been what someone would have done. The son represented the father. The son's going to go in and clean this up. And what do they do to the son? They drag him outside of the vineyard and they, they kill him. Now when Jesus shares this story, the religious leaders aren't sitting around going, oh yeah, I remember when something like this happened. This would have been very atypical. This is not what took place with vineyards. When the master would have sent his workers to collect the fruit, they would have got the fruit. Tenants understood their place in this system. They understood if they rebelled that against that at all, they were going to be out of a livelihood. Jesus is making a point by sharing something that's atypical, and sharing something that wouldn't have happened in the normal course of life. He's essentially saying, imagine what this would be like. Imagine what the master would do if they killed his son. And what do they say? Well, they say, we'll tell you exactly what he would do. He put those poor, miserable, evil wretches to death. And they would deserve it. What is Jesus saying? He's saying to them, you're those poor, miserable, evil wretches. He's saying to the Pharisees, he's saying to the religious leaders, he's saying to us this morning, friends, the problem is not just that we rebel and say no to God. That when the Master says do this, we don't do it. The problem isn't just that we don't listen to the Master's Son. The reality is, we crucify the Son of God. The reality is, if we could somehow get in a machine and go back in time, we we may think of ourselves as being on that road as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. We we may think and picture ourselves, oh man, to see Jesus, if I could just see him. I remember being a group of people one time, and the question was, if you could meet anyone in history, who would you meet? And a couple people, oh man, if I could just go see Jesus, if I could just go be there with Jesus, oh, I just love that. We picture ourselves that way. We think, we're sitting there going, Hosanna, Hosanna, the King is coming. This is the Messiah, and He's here, and we're going to be praising Him, and maybe we will, but friends, the reality is, by the end of the week we'd be in a different crowd yelling something else the reality is as much as you might think different you'd be standing there among the others yelling crucify him crucify him because 
Because that's our heart, and that's the wickedness of it. There's a hardness there. There's a coldness there. We use an expression sometimes to describe people. We say, well, they've really got a good heart. When do we usually use that? To try to explain away something they do that's bad. <laughs> they, they mess up, they do it, but they've really got a good... We're trying our hardest to make it look better. We're, we're putting the lipstick on the pig, but it's still a pig. But here's the gospel and how it deals with that. You know what the gospel says to us? That you go back in the Word, you look centuries before. You come to the prophet Ezekiel. God speaking through him to these people whose hearts are as stone cold as ours. He says, here's what's going to happen. One day, I'm going to take out that cold stone heart and I'm going to replace it with a living one. That's what happens when we respond to the gospel. God, God takes this cold heart, this evil heart, this heart that yells, crucify him, he takes it out and he, he puts one in it and it's alive. He, he does what he did in creation. You picture him creating Adam. The scripture says he, he formed Adam from the dust of the ground. Here you have sovereign, holy, all-powerful God and he creates this man. But what's that man doing? He's laying there, he's a corpse. God's word says he breathes life into him. He, he creates a corpse and he breathes life into him. It's what he does in the gospel with us. We're, we're born spiritually corpses. God breathes life into us and he removes that cold heart and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. But Jesus doesn't just share these as words of encouragement. In the last point there, he, he shares them that we might understand that as hard-hearted hypocrites, we, we've got to repent and believe. We must repent and believe because... God's judgment is coming. This God of grace, this merciful, gracious God who is continuing to proclaim the gospel through His Son, His Son who, like the Son in the story, He's going to be taken outside of the vineyard. All four gospel writers make the point, Jesus is taken outside the walls of the city and He's beaten and humiliated and He's crucified. This God of mercy and grace who put His Son on the cross. Scripture tells us He is also our judge. The good news for those of us who have been made righteous in Christ, you're not going to have this experience that so many of us somehow picture that that somehow we're going to stand before God as blood-bought believers and and we're going to stand there and God's going to kind of show us some some movie of our life and we're going to feel real guilty and He's going to say, yeah, but you're good now. No, we're going to stand before Him, and from the moment we stand there, we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Revelation gives this picture. The nations are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why the robes are white. They've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Just picture, picture that. We're, we're going to have this meal one day. We're not going to have little crackers that small and little thimble cups we're going to have a feast at a table. And there's going to be people there from Paraguay who, who today, they are the first son. And they're saying no to God. And they don't even know his name to say no to him. 
And God in His sovereign grace, He's going to raise up people like the Smiths who are going to go. They're going to share the gospel with them. That cold, dead heart's going to be made alive. And they're going to be at this table with us. We're going to be wearing matching robes, not school uniforms here. White robes cleansed by the blood of Jesus. God's not going to be standing there going, Oh, yeah, Richard, well, let me, let me make you feel a little guilty. No, he's going to, you've been clothed in the blood of Christ. I see my son when I see you, Richard. He died on the cross for you. He covered you with His righteousness. And we're going to share this meal. There's no guilt there. But there is a judgment that's coming. Because not everybody's responded to that message. And the reality of Scripture is, there's going to be a day when we don't come into this building the next Lord's Day. There isn't a next Lord's Day. It's done. And there's judgment. And there's people who are going to stand before God and they're not going to be in white robes. They're going to stand before Him and they're going to say, well, they told, they told me I had a pretty good heart. No, you don't. They're going to stand condemned before the throne of God. And Jesus is reminding his religious leaders of that day of that, he's reminding us of that when he says that he's the son that's been rejected, when he says that God's going to look, and much like the owner of that vineyard, he's taken those people out of killed his son, he's putting those in it that bear fruit, he's reminding them judgment's coming, reckoning day is coming, and how do they respond? Oftentimes in the scripture, people don't quite understand they're the ones being talked about, they understand they're the ones being talked about. Scripture says that they understand he's talking about them, and yet, because their hearts are so hard towards the gospel, how do they respond? They understand he's talking about them, so now they want to kill him. They might not be there yet. They're going to get there. They want to arrest him right then. They don't because they're scared of what's going to happen. How this comes home for us is this, friends. This, this morning, this Lord's Day, where you are, we're, we're going to come, we're going to celebrate what Christ has done. We're, we're going to do that in a way, though, that as we celebrate this, we're proclaiming something. We're proclaiming the gospel. That means we need to proclaim the gospel. That there may be some here who've yet to respond to it. We're proclaiming that to them right now. But there are many, hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions outside of this door billions in the world who haven't responded to that message. And from our neighbor that we desperately need to share the gospel with, to those in Paraguay who don't have the gospel in their language, to those in Malaysia, to those in India, to those all over Asia, we need to take the gospel to them and we need to have a greater resolve to go to the nations with this gospel. There and here. I talked to a young man this week. He grew up down the street from this church. Many of you have probably walked past him, met him. He's in his 30s, and this is the first time he's heard and responded to the gospel. There's people in their 50s, 60s, 80s in our community, they've yet to respond to it. Friends, we need to take it to them. I want that to be a reminder to us. I want that just to be on our minds as we come to this table because Jesus says when you come to this table, you're remembering and you're proclaiming. This morning, remember that when you stand before Him, there's, there's no judgment. He's cleansed you 
And you're going to have this meal in heaven with Christ in the nations. That's a glorious thought. But also remember our call to go out and proclaim the gospel. Remember that there's people in this moment, if you're looking, they're not at that table yet, as we understand. But God has given us the call and the burden to go and share the gospel with them that they might one day be. I want to invite the deacons to come forward as we prepare to receive this meal together, as we prepare as believers to receive what it is that Christ has given us to remind us. If you would, pray with me.